All righty. God bless you guys. You can be seated. You're taking up my speaking time, everybody doing that. I'm very glad that uh, uh, Josh uh, gave an explanation for my red eyes this morning. They probably are a little, little twingy with, on the red side. Um, thank you for your, just your graciousness, honest to goodness. Uh, I was sitting here Wednesday uh, in our faculty launch right here in the Anderson Chapel. My, my father-in-law, who's really my father for the last 40 years, he was just a daily significant uh, man of God in my life, uh, has fallen, he's 90 years old, had fallen. And he's fallen before, in, he's out in Sacramento. And, but Wednesday, uh, we were getting word as we sat at faculty launch that things were not looking positive, that he was, uh, had become unresponsive, there was bleeding on the brain, and we just had to make a very fast choice. And I told Mrs. H, as you will meet her, she's affectionately called uh, Mrs. H around here, um, we jumped on a plane uh, at six o'clock, got home, um, and then she was able to spend Thursday uh, all day. Her dad was in a, basically a coma in comfort care, got to spend all day Thursday with her dad. And then uh, Friday morning, he passed away. And uh, so um, I was going to head back Friday night here in my uh, gracious team said, because I want to be here for Super Saturday. That's the Super Bowl. That's the best, one of the best days of the year. Uh, apart from commencement, which is really one of the best days because we say goodbye to people. We, we'd rather do Super Saturday every day of the week, to be honest. Um, and to be gone yesterday was brutal, personally. But my all the VPs, and they just graciously said, just stay one more day. And, and so yesterday really was a very powerful day. We had a chance to kind of get the details done with the funeral home. And then all of our kids came in from out of town. And so we had a big chaotic family gathering with a bunch of grandkids and kids yesterday. So Karen had the house full of noise and family on her first day of life without her dad, who was so central to all of our lives. But man, I just uh, wanted to be here so badly. Uh, but this is this is good. So yeah, I jumped on a flight last night, got to Seattle, left about 1 a.m. from Seattle and bounced my way all over Montana. It was terrible, the turbulence. I uh, landed, ran home, took a quick shower, and here we all are. I'm not, and I'm not late for class. Here we are. This is what your, your life's going to be like. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share in just a moment. Uh, um, this would, I, I have several times I have devotions with the students when they come, the new students, meet with the parents, all of our missionary families that are here. I just especially honor you. If you're a, a, a missionary mom or dad, not an MK, but a missionary mom or dad, and you're from somewhere around the world, either on furlough or you flew in from around the world or you're heading back around the world, I just want to especially honor uh, all of our parents, but our missionaries that come in from around the world just for a couple days to drop off their student. Can all of our missionary parents stand up real quick, our grandparents that are here, all the missionary parents or grandparents? Come on, get on your feet, get on your feet, get on your feet. Wow. Fantastic. After chapel today, I'll, be, I'll hang out down here in the cafeteria for a little bit. I might yawn in a little bit with you, but uh, um, I just want to make sure all the M MK moms and dads that are in the area uh, come up and say hi to me as well. Um, one more thing. I, I want to present the passage of Scripture today, not read you the passage. But right before I present the passage, or have the passage presented to you in a creative way, um, I would like to ask, uh, Jeremy, would you mind bringing up that uh, framed document that hangs in my office? Now, I know you're not going to be able to see this from a distance, but 
we love all the old archives uh, that hang around this campus. This campus is 91 years old. It's one of the most unique campuses in all of America. There's really only three urban Christian universities that are fully accredited, uh, like North Central. It's Moody in Chicago and King's College in New York. And then, of course, North Central in downtown Minneapolis. So really the three urban Christian universities in the United States. Most of the schools all left the city years ago. Um, and I, people, I tell people, no, we're not in a cornfield, but we are in a wheat field. Uh, we're in, we're in an incredible, incredible place like none other. And I'm so grateful the school never left the inner city and the urban core. But on this document, it shows the start of the school and how the school went up, up, up in 19, started 1930, 32, 33, 34, 37, 38, 39. Then in 1941, it goes like this. And for five years right there, it just, what, what happened? And then right below is this bracket from 41 to 45. It's called the war years. The war years. Uh, World War II, 1941, 1945. And then it took off again because it endured the war years. Thank you, Jeremy. You did a great job, Jeremy. Great job. What a talent, what a talent. But let me just say this quick and then I'm gonna present the word to you here for just a moment. And I got some things I wanna share. Our nation has been in the midst of the war years. To lead a university, to serve alongside these professionals who love Christ in the downtown of Minneapolis, in this country in the last year and a half, has been in many ways psychologically like the war years. And uh, all last year during COVID, I would come into chapel and point every day to this. I'd look at 100 students because it was all limited, spread out. And I said, that's what it really looks like, everybody. This Wednesday, when everybody gets here, that's what this place looks like. And I want to tell you, we're in a, a place now in America that People really don't care, especially ministers or whatever. They don't care what you've built. They want to know one thing. Are you still telling the truth? Are you still telling the truth? Moms and dads, I want you to know that this is a spirit-filled, truth-telling university that will never move one inch off ground or the center place of telling the truth of God's word into this society. So I just want you to know that we're still telling the truth and teaching the truth at this university. I'm gonna illustrate that in my, my comments here in just a moment, but I just want, I've asked um, this wonderful uh, contemporary and historical figure, uh, Dr. Wayne Matthews, uh, to present my passage of scripture today. Let's welcome Dr. Matthews. Faith. <laughs> faith. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. 
by faith. Abel offered a better offering to God than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. (laughs) He could not be found because God had taken him away. But before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah when warned of things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the land of promise as a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents along with Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of that same promise. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so... From this one man and him as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. (laughs) Ah, yes, (laughs) all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive what was promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were strangers and foreigners on earth. (laughs) People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they left, they would have had opportunity to return. But they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. (laughs) By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise of God was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said that it was through Isaac that his offspring would be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, Abraham did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons as he worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his time was coming to a close, spoke of the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt 
and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. <laughs> By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasure of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry ground. <laughs> but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. <laughs> By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the armies marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, after she welcomed the spies, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed along with those who were disobedient. What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson and Jephthah, of David, Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of the flames. They escaped the edge of the sword, all whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle, Oh, and vanquished foreign armies. Women received their dead, raised back to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. They endured jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy. They wandered about in the mountains, deserts, they hid and lived in caves and holes in the earth. And all these were commended for their faith. They did not receive the things promised. So that, and because God had planned something better for us. So that without us, they would not be made perfect. Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles it. Run the race that has been marked out for you with perseverance. Looking to Jesus, <laughs> the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May it be said of you, by faith. Thank you so much, Josh. Wow. You want another wow? He's never done that before. I just asked him to, to do that recently. That's the first time he's ever recited that passage before. Uh, that, if you're taking theater, that is your leader right there. Tremendous. If I was to frame these comments, uh, and they will be comments, like I said, I, I, I should have had three or four times to talk already, so I have... I have several hundred things to, set, to tell you in the next uh, few very fleeting moments. Um, I kind of preach like one sermon, but I, I get to speak it about 40 times uh, in little different settings throughout this year. Typically, I get a chance to preach on Fridays. That's the president's chapel, and we're excited to kind of resume that schedule with a dynamic, uh, you know, with our faculty here and, and uh, all the students and a great time leading into a uh, time of prayer on Fridays, but chapel every day. We've got, we're kicking off great. We've got Reggie Dabbs coming for a couple days here right off the bat. <clears throat> got one of my favorite young preachers in America, Rich Wilkerson Jr. will be here on September 14th with us. I could go on and on and on. We've got some tremendous, tremendous uh, people that will be gracing uh, this wonderful stage and pulpit teaching the Bible. Um, but that powerful passage out of Hebrews chapter 11 in the first three verses of chapter 12, uh, just, I've never heard it recited like that. I've read it hundreds of times in my life. I've never heard it presented in, in that beautiful uh, way that Wayne just did to us. It's so compelling. And there's so much in there I could teach for days. You're going to be taking courses on the book of Hebrews, I'm certain, somewhere along the way. But the word better is the word I want you to remember about what you just heard, the word better. God had a better place. He had a better way, a better life, a better future. Something better was in store. Now, the world around them certainly wasn't better. Matter of fact, the world around them became more agitated. The more mature the believer became, the more agitated the world around them became. And it drew attack, violent attack, against the believers. And this word of encouragement to endure out of the book of Hebrews is unbelievable. And there's another line in there that was so powerful. It says, if you, if you had considered where you came from, you could not go forward. The key to endurance literally is where you focus and set your eyes. Now, this is going to be a test of endurance. Between now and Tuesday night, it's going to still feel like youth camp around here. And then it, it changes, dramatically changes Wednesday. 
Chapel will be phenomenal. It'll feel, it'll feel like camp again for a few brief seconds. But once Tuesday or Wednesday hits, this thing starts to go real slow again. It's dynamic. It's filled with all kinds of drama that brought you to this campus, miracles that brought you here. Uh, a dream come true. I dropped my daughter off here. My oldest went to school here. She was the first one to leave for college. I dropped her off here um, on a day like today. And I, I won't tell you what happened next, but I was living in Michigan, and I think I stopped crying around Chicago. Uh, not Chicago Avenue, but the city of Chicago is when I kind of stopped crying. It was a dramatic experience. And I realized that uh, she, she does come home, and yours will come home as well. And whatever we hold with a fist in our life dies. Whatever we hold with an open hand, it leaves, but it always returns living. And so this is that moment that you get to hold them while you let them go. And I promise they will return home living and breathing. And it's going to be a dynamic experience. But just let all of the raw emotions of today unfold. Uh, it's a great day. It's a day like none other, especially if it's your first uh, child off to college. Um, you're going to experience that in a little bit here. But we'll get to all that later on. Uh, we want to keep this a happy time right here. So um, what I want to share with you, first of all, I wish Mrs. Hagen was here. We call her Mrs. H. So just so you know, when you see her, Mrs. H, she speaks here a lot. She's one of the most popular speakers. The crowds are bigger when she speaks um, than they are when I speak. People love Mrs. H around this campus. Here's my favorite picture of Karen uh, from 1964. If we could put that up. There she is right there. There's Mrs. H. I love the haircut, the little barrette, the little bent wrist, just that feminine little gleam on her face. Just look at Karen. She's so cute, and uh, I just love it. The little dress and purse and the little page boy haircut. But it's the look in her eye. It's the gleam in her eye. She has seen something. I think God, even when she was four years old, was showing Karen the future. And I think that gleam, a woman rarely gets the gleam in the eye. Maybe that gleam happens once. I think, I think the Lord was showing her her future. I think the Lord was showing her this. Next picture, if you will. I think this is what she saw. <laughs> now that's highly inappropriate to start our relationship off like this. How do you even know that's me? Uh, are you seeing similarity right there? I love the twisty velvet pants there. That's probably 1965 Fresno Airport. I believe it was Easter. My brother to my left is dressed in his prison outfit there with the stripes. <laughs> my sister to the right, uh, you can't see her. She's wearing a big plate on her head like a hat, flat hat. And, but that's me right there. I'm not too happy, but I'm doing my best for the picture. My dad worked in the lumber industry, and he worked in the mountains dropping trees with a big chainsaw. My dad also gave me haircuts, and um, I think he combined his chainsaw with that haircut right there, but he did his best, but I told people, I was way ahead of my times, I said, I tell people, they put a pair of skinny jeans on that guy, and that's a modern worship leader in any church right there, that hairdo right there. <laughs> so we fell in love, and this happened years later, so this is kind of my tribe here real quick. Next picture, if you will, right there, so we're married, four kids. Uh, four kids that are just great, uh, and then that's all their spouses, and then we have, really, this is our life. Next picture, if you will, this is me and Mrs. H with our 10 little grandkids that have emerged into our life that dominate and uh, suck every ounce of time and energy and money uh, from our being, so um, it's, it's a great, great crew. 
So back in 1929, next slide if you will, I want to, I want to story tell for just a moment, let you know how this school began. 1929, that building right here on the left, it's still a remnant of that building. It's been remodeled, but that's what the building looked like in 29, Gospel Tabernacle, down here on Lake Street. The lady here to my left with those really hip glasses that she's wearing here, that is a medical doctor named Lillian Yeomans, who was one of the first people in all of Canada in North America to use morphine on patients. But she didn't know quite how to use morphine around the turn of the century, so she was using it on herself. And what happened is she became addicted to morphine. She wasn't a Christian. She lost her medical practice and was um, uh, on the streets. Her sister came up outside Toronto, uh, Canada, found her, took her the turn of the century to a church that was experiencing a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. She was set free of morphine, one of the first interesting. I just completed my PhD at Gonzaga, and I did an autoethnography, which is a research methodology of narrative scholarship. And in my research at Gonzaga, I discovered one of the first accepted uh, autoethnographers or therapeutic writers was Lillian Yeoman. She wrote about addiction and her, her writings about coming off morphine was one of the first uh, accepted, uh, research accepted in the, to the journals of, of, of the medical world that studied what it's like to come off of drugs. And I go, I know her. How do I know her? Because in 1929, the year of the crash of the stock market, Lillian was preaching in this building right here. She'd become a preacher. She got radically saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and she was delivered and became a preacher. <clears throat> She's the invited guest in 1929, the Minnesota District Council, up on Lake Street, uh, just a few blocks from here, a place where we met uh, last Wednesday to begin our academic launch. In the middle of her message, she's preaching the Minnesota District Council. In the middle of the message, she turns to the pastor, Frank Lindquist. He's on the stage, and she says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you need to start a Bible institute. Frank Lindquist had not gone to college. He was taking correspondence courses from Moody uh, Bible Institute in Chicago. But this resonated in his heart in the fall of 29, right at the crash of the stock market. And if you know U.S. history, a moment in our nation like none other. And so the following fall, in the fall of 1930, 91 years ago, one week before my father-in-law, Bob Coppinger, who passed away Friday, one week before he was born, he was born in mid-October of 1930, a week before his birth, as best we can tell, the first class was held in the basement of that church. We stood in that basement Wednesday. I had all the staff and faculty. We anointed every one of them with oil and prayed in that basement where those first 30 kids gathered in 1930. It probably the lowest point in, a, in America. Uh, World War II was about to unleash late 30s and of course from 41 to 45 the U.S. was center, central to the theater there, World War II, all, all over the place. And, but right in the heart of that, North Central was born in the fall of 1930. The result of a drug addict, female preacher who prophesied the school into existence. Don't ever forget the fact this school started because a woman who'd been set free from morphine turned around in the middle of her message and the Holy Spirit gave her. Maybe that's how you got to North Central. Maybe something dramatic. Maybe it's always been your plan. 
Um, I found out at the school I was going to, Bethany Baba College, about a week before. It wasn't even on my radar screen in 1980, back in the 1900s, back then. Um, <laughs> but this school is a place of the supernatural. I just want to give you a couple things to frame. We'll get, we're going to get to the Hebrews message. We're going to get to Daniel's message. we got so much in store uh, to teach you this year and to impart to your life. Uh, but we want to just take a few more moments here, and then we're going to get to a wonderful brunch. We're going to pray for our students in here, but then we're going to get to a wonderful uh, brunch in the cafeteria. But I just want to share with you uh, probably the cornerstone verses and maybe five or six very fast thoughts that will be on the screen. And then we're going to end our talk, and we're going to try to explain the bear of a buffalo, and I'll explain what that is in just a moment. But this verse of scripture has really framed my kingdom leadership, my mindset, as I have really approached this new season of my life, these last five years of leading the college in this great university here in, in Minneapolis. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5 says this. It says, if you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in a safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? What a unique verse of scripture by Jeremiah as he speaks of the southern kingdom of, of, of Judah, who had not learned the lessons of history from their northern uh, brethren up there called Israel. About 116 years prior, they, had, they were conquered by the Assyrians, and now a little over about 116 years later, they're on the precipice in the south, the southern uh, part of Israel that had been divided. They're about to go into a 70-year period of captivity. And Jeremiah is giving us a glimpse of everything in this passage. He said, man, if, you are, if you're <clears throat> running against people and they've worn you out, how are you going to race against the horse? If you've fallen down in an open space, how are you going to make it through the thickets of the Jordan? Every spring, this 20-foot high, 20-foot wide thicket would grow. <clears throat> and they would have to pierce through this legitimate obstacle. He said, man, you're falling down in an open space without an obstacle. You're just, you're just battling against people. What if the tide turns and culture and adversity turns like the metaphor of running against a person versus running against a horse. What becomes of you then? So here's what Jeremiah is telling us. He's giving us the code. He's giving us the clue. Two things. Number one, the future will always be more demanding than the present. Future is always more demanding than the present. Even if you are living <coughs> your life well in the Lord. The weight and stewardship of God's reward on your life will be an increased stewardship of more. God rewards you with greater assignments, greater tasks, and with that greater stress and greater battle. The future is always more demanding than the present. That's why we live in a lifetime, keep, keep a lifetime of preparation always at the forefront of what we do. Because the demands of the future is going to be like running against a horse versus running against a person. I speak to the parents, grandparents, everybody in this room, faculty, staff. We cannot stop preparing for the future. And I don't mean storing money. 
And I don't mean uh, getting your calendar in order. It's a deeper preparation than that. It's a preparation that equips you to handle the demands of a faithful life in the Lord. We know that the lovelessness and lawlessness of our world, it's unfolding at warp speed right in front of us. Our world has probably changed since we started chapel. We'll probably go on our phones and go, oh no, that happened. This onslaught, this assault, this shift, this fluidity of our world and the theories and the presuppositions and the conjectures and everybody's perceptions of this and that. It is an unbelievable moment. Chris, can you go back to that quick slide? I want to share this with the parents after that Lillian Yeoman's picture. I just want to show you this. I shared this with the faculty and staff. What constitutes NCU as faithfully Christian? What makes this university faithfully Christian? Let me give you a picture of what a liberal arts university looks like. This is a partial list. Next slide, if you will. Science, history, mathematics, literature. There's probably 12 or 13 key topics I could put up there that constitute University of Minnesota, Ohio State, USC, Penn State, great universities, Ivy League schools that have liberal arts education. You're going to have both degree programs and coursework that involves these great themes of the humanities and science and, and literature and it's like that. Now, this is what many historically Christian universities look like in the liberal arts world in America. This is what a typical Christian university looks like. Put it up if you will. When I first submitted this, Chris said, hey, you have two slides are the same. I said, no, no, look to the far left. What historically Christian universities do is they accommodate scripture somewhere on their list. We still have a chapel. It's not mandatory. You can attend it. It's still here, a piece of architecture on the campus. So science, history, mathematics, literature, and scripture is added shoulder to shoulder alongside those pursuits. I want to be crystal clear. That is not North Central University. That's the way historical Christian universities have become this. The Bible is just kind of presented alongside of these things. We accommodate a space for Scripture. This is what NCU and other on-fire universities that love Christ actually look like. Next slide. The Word of God sits atop the curriculum. The Word of God sits atop the whole mission and identity of the universe. Oh, we still study, friends, science and literature and history and mathematics and we want to do it to create you, to be at the top of your game when you get out of here, career ready. My daughter graduated with her business degree from North Central. She was a finalist for a job against a graduate from the University of Oregon, one of the Pac-12 schools, for this job in business and finance. My daughter got the job with her NCU degree over the University of Oregon because when she interviewed, the person said, you bring the total package. You're not bringing drama here. You've got, you're a wise sharp, knowledgeable, uh, emotionally whole individual. So that's the kind of graduate we want to produce. You graduate with momentum so that it doesn't take you four years to recover from the four years you just spent at college. That's your advantage right off the bat. 
you are going to graduate with momentum. And we place the word of God. We don't just study perspectives for perspective's sake. Uh, we have a settled truth of God's word. Now, here's the way I frame it. Daniel went to Babylon, and they learned the language of the Babylonians, but not the idolatry of Babylon. We learn the language of the Babylonians. We learn literature and math. We guard against heresy coming into the university. It's very important because God's word sits atop our curriculum, friends. But I promise you, I promise you, we're never just going to accommodate the Bible as just a shoulder-to-shoulder, stand-alongside. I promise you the faculty, the university keeps the word of God at the top of its priority. I'm just going to share these. Go to the blue side, if you will. I'm going to do these super fast because we've got to move on here. And plus, I got my second wind. Now I don't have my jet lag in me, so man, I've been <laughs> waiting a year and a half to see this place full of people. Um, um, let's go to right here. I want to give you these, just a quick starter for all the students in here. This is how I think about leadership. I'm going to give these to you like bullet, 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 bullet. Tell you about the buffalo, then we're going to pray. Here we go. First of all, great leaders pay attention. Poor leaders seek attention. Great leaders pay attention. Poor leaders seek attention. Back to the Daniel passage, Nebuchadnezzar. He was probably five foot something. I don't know how tall he was, but he built a 90-foot image of himself. I just saw this new phenomenon. They're building 21 cities in 2021. Have you seen the story of the giant? Google the giant, 21 cities in 2021 around the world. It's a 100-foot high image of this human being that becomes Michael Jordan and Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and then Oprah Winfrey. It's, it's one of the most bizarre uh, um, um, spectacles that's going to be all over the world. Uh, the, and it's 100-foot high. It's 10 feet taller than Nebuchadnezzar's image. Now, don't Google it now. you got to hear me for another three minutes, uh, but you can Google the giant. I lost you right there. See, now you can't pay attention. You're trying to, no, I'm just kidding. But Nebuchadnezzar drove people to his image. It was really the first website in human history was Nebuchadnezzar's 90-foot image. He wanted people to bow there because he was about seeking attention, not paying attention. I want to challenge every student as this thing gets kind of slow and rigorous, it's about paying attention, not seeking attention. Next one, you cannot hide your heart. Whatever fills, spills. Can't hide your heart. Whatever fills is going to spill. So just know that the right kind of social, spiritual, physical pressure will form that whatever fills your heart is going to spill. Can't hide it. You can be a loner, but you can't hide your heart. At some point, whatever has filled that heart, we want to give you every chance possible to fill your heart with as much of Jesus and his kingdom and knowledge as possible. Number three, remember that the attitude is always louder than the answer. The attitude, people remember the attitude. They remember your countenance, the tone. They remember your mood. you got to really work on that. How many tend to be pretty moody? And this is one of the things God has got to work on in your life. How does my mood affect their mood when I walk into a room? All of these beautiful points of transformation are going to now be in the workshop of the kingdom in this beautiful setting called NCU. Here's number four. When I think of leaders, I think of this. A leader must produce more than they consume. At some point, you have to be a producer, not a consumer. 
At some point, what the Lord is looking for, I love what Paul said when he wrote the book of Philemon about Onesimus. He said, he was once useless to me, but now has become useful. So really the journey of maturity is going from useless to useful. I don't want to be useless in this life. At some point, the learning, the churning, the hassle to get the tassel, all this stuff, is to produce in us a life that contributes more than it consumes. The people that shipwreck never make the pivot from consumer to contributor. That's not going to be you. Lastly, this. Nobody's success around here is robbing your potential. None of my kids got married on the same day. They, always, they had to go celebrate the other. None of my grandchildren were born on the same day. Some days this baby was born. They had two before we had our first. You have to go celebrate another. I, I've used this a million times, um, and that is this. You got two boats in the harbor going up and down. One little sailboat's got the sail down, going nowhere. Another sailboat goes by at full speed. Imagine the little boat going nowhere, yelling at the other boat. Hey, stop stealing my wind. That other boat would say, get your sail up, dummy. There's plenty of wind in the harbor to sail more than one ship. And there is plenty of wind in the kingdom of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, to flourish every dream, all the potential, all the talent, everything that you've brought as a freshman class to this university. Nobody's success is robbing your potential. That's why you can celebrate, help, resource, and cheer on each other. Not everybody's going to get married and have babies on the same day. You got to show up to other people's parties and not be a grump. Don't pout. Be happy. Be thrilled. Make it happen for them. So let's end here. Put my friend on the screen, if you will, that last picture right there. So I'm going to tell you about this guy. I got to tell you this fast. For about nine years, I go to the nation of Nepal. I have a trip planned next year. Uh, the first eight years, we do lots of humanitarian work. We go into the mountains. The earthquake had hit a couple years ago, but I just love the people of Nepal. It's kind of my adopted nation. So we got to Nepal a few um, couple years ago, right after the earthquake. The devastation was unbelievable. People were buried under the rubble. We got there about a, two weeks after the earthquake. We hiked up and I told the team, no matter what they ask us to do, the whole trip itinerary is off. We're just going to go there to serve and we're going to make up our dates, whatever they need. So we went to this very remote village on this mountainside. It's probably my seventh year there. So I was familiar with the, what we were going to do, but this would be different because of the earthquake. So we got there and my entire team that year had never gone to Nepal. These were all rookies. These were just people, they've been fasting and praying. It's very rigorous. They've been training for a couple months, just hyped up. Last year, we got to, year before that, we got to go to Mount Everest Base Camp for the first time. That was an unbelievable experience. But even these other years, it's very rigorous when you go to Nepal. So we landed and got there late at night. We took a Jeep ride. We didn't have an acclimation day. We took this eight-hour Jeep ride. The, the headlights, we're just going to drive off the edge of a mountain. I go, this is it. It's over. Uh, they're like looking at me going, this is crazy. I said, yeah, but you paid to be here, so uh, enjoy it. <laughs> we get there. We got a little headlamps, and we got to climb up this mountain in the dark. We're in our tents. Typically, you get an acclimation day. We woke up in the morning, and they said, we need you to go to a village. It's a couple 
our walk up the mountainside, and we noticed there were no men anywhere. They were, there were just little pockets of these women. So we're going up the hill, and I'm, I'm burnt, tired, man. But we're all, you know, grunting our way up there. It's our first day. Everybody's, you know, for Jesus the whole bit. So we get to the village. There's no interpreter. Finally, this one lady comes. She says, thank you for coming. We need help. Um, we need you to uh, bury this buffalo for us. I've been here for seven years. No one's ever asked me to bury a buffalo. Okay. So they're all looking at me. We get these shovels. And they're really crude little digging devices, as hot as could be. And we start digging, and the ground is almost impossible to pierce. We're an hour into it. These eight people or nine people that were with me, we're digging, we're sweating. You know, everybody's got their shirt now tied around their neck and like, and they're starting to look at me like, what are we, what? I paid 4,000 bucks. I've been fasting and praying so I could fly around the world, march all night to bury a buffalo? What in the world? And I don't have an answer for them. We're just, I said, you know, just, hey, I'm the leader, you know, just fake it till you make it, man. Hey, servant leaders, we're serving. <laughs> hey. How many know what I'm talking about? You're like, I don't know what we're doing either. So they're starting to turn on me. We're not even halfway into our first day, and I'm losing the team. <laughs> they're like, it's all this money. We finally, this thing weighs, honestly, goodness, 800 pounds, maybe 900 pounds. It's all bloated and huge. We can't even drag it. We got to puncture the stomach and the, all the gas. Flies are everywhere. We're covered in flies and muck. It stinks. Uh, and we finally dig this hole. We drag this carcass over there. We get in. We put, we spent the entire day on the other side of the world burying a stupid buffalo. Now, I'm in my late 50s. These, some of these guys in their 60s. You're going, I just blew a day and I don't got a lot of days left. I just gave up a whole day of what I got left to spend four grand, fly around the planet and to bury a stupid buffalo? What's this have to do with ministry and, and spiritual warfare and all of it? I don't know. But we did it, but everybody's attitude was horrible by the end of the day one. I got to put up with this for the next 12 days. So we're done. We stink. Now we got to walk a couple hours back down to the village and this little Nepalese, when I say little, Nepalese grandma. Honestly, she looks like she's 100 years old. She comes out with this little crude um, plate with some small cups of tea. And she has a tear coming down that weathered face. She holds out the tea. Now an interpreter has returned. And says, little grandma says, I want to thank you. You bet. <laughs> I don't think gratitude's going to save the day, but we appreciate you're grateful. Um, she goes, the earthquake. All the 
villages are destroyed. All of our men are trying to dig through and bring out the dead. This animal died yesterday. If we don't get this animal in the ground today, then tonight the ravenous wolves will come out of the upper part of the mountain into our village. They will attack the carcass and they will attack our children. Thank you for saving our children. All of a sudden, these yahoos, <laughs> they go, oh yeah, we saved the village. We saved the children. Oh yeah, we did it. That's what we were doing. We thought we were bearing some stupid buffalo for somebody else on the other side of the world. We didn't know what the mission was when we were doing it. We didn't really know what was going on as it was happening. I'm telling you, I'm almost 59 in a couple weeks, which is a year from 60, halfway to 120, okay? <laughs> if I get my piano player to come up here, we got a rap here. I always like when the musician comes, don't you? Because it gives you hope. <laughs> it just gives you hope that we really aren't closing. Folks, I would say most of my life, when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's about bearing the buffalo to save the village. God gives you assignments in life and seasons in life where it says, what does this have to do with anything? What does this class have to do with anything? What does this rule? When Daniel went to Babylon, they reduced his life. He chose water and vegetables. He narrowed his life when he could have been going to the University of Minnesota and doing anything he wants and being celebrated for doing anything you want. But he went to North Central, drank some water, ate some vegetables. Now our food's way better than that. He went to a Christian university that was legit. And the Bible says he was examined after that and was found 10 times better. 10X, 10X graduates. You're in this Christian community it feels like, why am I living narrow when I could be living free? That's because sometimes you bury the buffalo. You don't really realize what's going on. God is producing in you a 10x leader, a 10 times better. Not, hey, I'm 10 times better than you, but I'm 10 times better in the things that matter most. Wisdom, understanding, competence, skills. Better than Babylon can produce. Better than the U of M, Ohio State, any of them can produce. You're 10 times better. Not 10 times more special. Okay? You are special. You're unique. You're wonderful. But God is forging 10x leaders 
through NCU. They're going to water this earth. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to be asked to go bury buffaloes. And most people don't get to tell the story because they throw their shovel down halfway through the assignment with a terrible attitude and they quit. And just remember, you never actually quit something. You return to something. You're not just quitting. You're returning to something. And the devil wants you to return to something in the form of quitting. Sometimes stuff happens. You don't know why this is going on. Why am I doing this? Why am I in this? Lead? Why am I asking? Why am I serving here? What's this have to do with my vision to change the world? I'm bearing a stupid buffalo. And then when it's all said and done, the Lord says, hey, by the way, you just saved 50 children from being destroyed by ravenous wolves. Because sometimes in order to save the village, you got to bury the buffalo. So keep your attitudes right, your heart hot for the Lord. We're going to keep each other on fire for the Lord. Okay? You're going to soar this year. Mom and dad, you're going to be so proud of them. Because we're so proud of you, mom and dad. Thank you for having me. Let's all stand together. Bethany, I'm so sorry. I just preached too long. I, I just got... I, I just got a lot inside there. This is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful to see everybody. I just want us, if you have a student standing near you, uh, even if they're not your son or daughter, if you're next to your son or daughter, can you just put a hand on their shoulder? And if there's a student without a parent nearby, put a hand on their shoulder. If it's just a bunch of students, just put a hand on each other's shoulders. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord God, we just commit, Lord, on this beautiful Sunday morning, Lord. We still have a couple great fun days ahead. Lord, I pray, Jesus, as you just give us everything we need, God, to succeed. Father, that we could endure, Lord, by faith, God, as was so powerfully presented to us, Lord, because you have something better than where we have come from in the sense of purpose, meaning, and maturity, God. And Father, we don't have all <coughs> the metrics, Lord. We don't know exactly what it will look like, but that's our advantage, Lord, because it causes us to trust in you. And Father, I pray that you would put your spirit powerfully in the life of every son and daughter in this room, Lord. The faculty that are represented, the parents as they drive home, grandparents, siblings, God, that this would be a powerful moment of revival, God. Do something to the whole family, through the whole family, God, because of this wonderful intersection of North Central University and this family. We're so grateful they're here, Lord. You have handpicked them, God, to be 10X leaders in this world, God. And Jesus, we love you and we thank you in your mighty name. Amen. Vice President Bethany Harshbarger, would you come real quick? God bless you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you.